Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. I think Die Hard definitely has like a very beloved place in a lot of people's hearts and minds. Well, does Artemis Fall have a beloved place in... It has one in my heart and mind. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I think about it daily. You think about this daily? <laughs> mm, maybe like once a month I have a I have an Artemis Fowl thought cross my mind. Wow, this is eye-opening. So would you like put this on the same level as Harry Potter? No, no, no. N- not that much. Mostly just because I only read the first four books before I kind of grew out of them. Welcome, Mud People, to another episode of Phantology Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Artemis Fowl by Ian Colfer, and I have Ben on the line with me. Ben, I guess, just barely got around to reading this book, even though it came out in, what, 2001? And it's been a childhood staple for many of us. Yep, 2001. I'm not sure. I, I distinctly remember reading this in my school's library, and I guess it just didn't capture my imagination enough, so I put it back on the shelf and never picked it back up again. Well, let me tell you, it definitely caught my imagination because I've probably read this book five or six times and it's been years, but I can still remember almost every detail. So excited to get to the podcast. And before we go too far, let me briefly mention, if you like our content, check us out on social media. We're at Phantology Books. You can also join our Discord and chat with us about everything fantasy book related. And we just put up a Patreon. So check that out as well if you really like our content. Yeah, and we also have a website now, correct? Yes, the website is very exciting. Uh, we have we have an inside connection that uh, developed an awesome looking website for us. That's just phantologybooks.com. It's got all of our content up there, links to Discord, YouTube videos, everything you'd ever want Phantology Bookwise is up there. And you can even get a little sneak peek on our real life identities. Yep, super excited about that. So yeah, okay, let's get to it. So Artemis Fowl, the first of many books. I've read the first, I think, four books. I just checked on Wikipedia. I guess there's like eight books now. So it looks like I outgrew the series. Maybe the the books weren't being written fast enough. But I have very distinct memories of the first four and really, really liked them. These are books that I I remember. I'm going to have a lot of nostalgia here. Yeah, so I think if I'm not mistaken that the last book, the eighth book came out like last year. So, I mean... They're still pump- he's still pumping them out, you know? Okay, well, I'm, I don't know. Honestly, at this point in my life, I don't know if I can revisit the series. But <laughs> if you're younger, I strongly recommend the series. Awesome. Very fun books. Yeah. And I think I'm just going to say the reason that I end up picking up this book again is because on March 2nd, Disney released another trailer for, for the upcoming Artemis Val movie. So, that's kind of why we're choosing to... Um, record this right now yeah we both we've seen the trailers honestly i don't know if i'm super excited for the movie because it looks like they are departing from the book very strongly like it doesn't look anything well it looks a lot like the book but the actual plot line i can tell is totally different and based off of what i'm seeing in the trailer i don't love that because i love the original plot yeah i don't know if i'm gonna watch the movie (laughs) well you know you're gonna have to watch the movie to to review it on the podcast so well, we'll withhold judgment for then. All right. We'll see if movie theaters are safe by then. <laughs> you know, I I heard that drive-in movies are, are still uh, 
are still okay in this COVID-19 breakout, you know? Okay. Drive to the drive-in, enjoy the summer weather that's coming on, park six feet away from everyone else and and social distance and watch a movie together. Maybe this will be the rise of drive-ins. Absolutely. Yeah, drive-in movies. So, let's talk a bit about the book. Uh, Ben, can you give us a little flavor for what readers might expect? I think listeners so far can probably have probably figured out that this is a YA or even a middle grade series, right? Yeah. So, I have a hard time classifying this as YA because it almost seems like a step like below that, not like in quality or anything, but just in like the age that it's geared to. I feel like most YA protagonists are around 15 or 16 or 17, you know, um, whereas Artemis is 12. So, it almost seems like prepubescent in a way. I don't know. It could be middle grade. Middle grade is for sure a, d- a different classification. Okay, so middle grade is for like middle schoolers or like elementary schoolers? I think middle schoolers. Sanderson has a middle grade series. It's the Alcatraz series. Mm. Okay. I don't know. I feel like because middle, middle school goes what? Until you're 13? I feel like 13 years old. Uh, it's probably, yeah, that might be a good age for this book. I mean, you just read the book, right? I, I think it most ages can enjoy. Oh, yeah, sure. It, it yeah, I think that any ages can enjoy any book. Um, but I'm just saying in terms of like the flavor of the book, it's definitely geared towards younger children. Although I will say that if you're older, there's definitely definitely some like jokes and stuff that are kind of meant for an older audience that are just kind of left hanging. He doesn't necessarily like finish the joke, but you definitely get to where it was headed. You're talking innuendos or some references that young kids might not pick up on? Yeah. Innuendos, maybe, but also just like he kind of like starts off with a comment and then says, and then I'm not going to finish that because it would have to be edited out of the report or whatever. I'm guessing that's probably a lot of like root and foley type comments. And there is an instance of an in world swear here, although it doesn't really, I forget what the word even is, but it's definitely used quite heavily by root. Ah, I don't remember either. Listeners, if you remember, let us know in the Discord. Please correct us. They call humans mud men. That's a bit of a derogatory slur that's used, but I don't think that's uh, that's too offensive to anyone that's actually reading the book, right? Right. I was going to say, interesting to find out that the author is from Ireland. I did not know that. And it's interesting because in the book, they definitely visit Ireland and he talks about the, the natural beauty that's there. So the, the whole book takes place in Ireland. Oh. Well, there you go. I didn't know if the manor was... Yeah, did you not pick up on that? They're, they're Irish. That's... Well, I, I didn't know that. I mean, mm. does it ever say that? Yeah, it, it, it explicitly says they're in Ireland, for sure. No, I know that, that uh, Folly had to... Well, I don't want to get into spoilers. Are we doing spoilers? No, no, no we're not doing spoilers yet. I, I, we just need listeners to know that it is in Ireland. <laughs> you know what? We're going to have to fact check this afterwards, because I never remember it saying... I remember her being kid. Ah, oh, shoot. I don't want to spoil anything. We're going to get back into this later on in the podcast. We, we can talk more about, about Ben's inability to pick up on things that are explicitly stated. But uh, okay, so this book is written for a younger audience. It is a story of a 12-year-old boy who's a genius. He becomes this head of a, a criminal organization. I mean, it's a small organization. It's just his family. But he he then clues into the existence of supernatural, the supernatural element on Earth. Uh, there are fairies and trolls and goblins, etc. that live like in the, in the mantle in, in the core of the Earth. And he figures out how to tap into that and contact them. 
and he kidnaps kidnaps a fairy and demands ransom and the story goes from there so that i mean that's just kind of what you'd see on the back of the book so no spoilers but that's what you can expect in the book um it's it's fun i've seen the author describe it as as die hard with fairies yeah i mean that's kind of an auspicious comment but yeah yeah how how so well i mean it's just it's not as graphic as die hard that's for sure and i mean i think die hard definitely has like a very beloved place in a lot of people's hearts and minds. Well, doesn't Artemis Fall have a beloved place and it has one in my heart and mind? Fair, fair enough. I think about it daily. You think about this daily? <laughs> mm, maybe like once a month I have a I have an Artemis Fall thought cross my mind. Wow, this is eye-opening. So would you like put this on the same level as Harry Potter? No, no, no. N- not that much. Mostly just because I only read the first four books before I kind of grew out of them. So I, I would just read through all of the books that I have that, that my parents had at their house. And these were these were favorites. So I read through probably the first three or four, I don't know, five or six times. So I know the stories really well. Yeah, so so a little bit of fun trivia as well on the physical books. The the covers are really cool. The first book is like this golden cover and it's meant to simulate the book of the fairies. And on the outside of like along the edges of all the pages, there are these fairy characters almost hieroglyphic looking and if you look at the codex that's i think on the back cover you can figure out what all the symbols are and decode this additional message so you go through every page and you can write down what the message is and at the end you have this thing written out i don't remember what the message actually is but some of my friends did it and we would just talk about it at lunch on the playground talk about the message we decoded you know i'm sure that if somebody observed that group of friends and they could have predicted that 20 years from that point that, that they would be hosting a fantasy podcast. Hey, if anyone observed those types of groups of friends, they would know that those friends are now making serious amounts of dollars in the real adult world. <laughs> hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> are you stealing from leprechauns? Yeah, LEP Recon. Watch out. We're taking <laughs> your dollars. We're taking your golden ingots. Ooh, so this is a trivia question. What does LEP stand for? Lower Elements Police. Easiest trivia question ever. Oh my gosh. Man, I was so proud of myself for knowing that. I have not read the books in 15 years, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Steven showing off his massive, massive knowledge there. Yeah, definitely a big brain moment for me. Okay, let's get into the book if you are still listening after all of that. Artemis Fowl, 12-year-old Artemis Fowl is a millionaire, a genius, and above all, a criminal mastermind. But even Artemis doesn't know that he's taken on what he's taken on when he kidnaps the fairy. Captain Holly Short of the LEP Recon Unit, Leprechaun Unit. These aren't the fairies of bedtime stories. They're dangerous, full of unexpected twists and turns. Artemis Fowl is a riveting, magical adventure. That's a good, uh, good little breakdown, right? So I was kind of thinking, when I looked at the, at the cover of the book, it almost looked like Artemis was working with a fairy. And so going into it, I was expecting some type of teaming up there, kind of like a buddy cop um, type situation. And so I was kind of disappointed that, that was not the premise of the book. Are you saying going off of the trailer that you watched, that's what you're expecting? Well, the trailer definitely makes it look like that. And then when I looked at the the cover of the book, like I'm not sure what the original covers look like, but the current cover looks like Artemis with a fairy standing behind him. I take that to mean that they're going to work together. The trailer definitely makes it seem like they're working together. I think that there's a scene in it where it says, I'm Holly, your um, contact on the other side or something like that. Yeah, let's talk about this more. So, the movie seems very different 
than the book. And I don't like it because the book plot was pretty, uh, pretty different, pretty, pretty cool for, especially for a younger, for a younger middle grade YA type book, because Artemis isn't necessarily the best guy. He's a 12 year old criminal mastermind and his motivations, he's motivated by greed quite a bit, right? He's just trying to get money and he kidnaps Holly, holds her ransom, doesn't treat her super well. Like these are not things that you see as much in a, in a young adult book. Yeah, I agree with that. And th- so that could be sort of Disney wanting to avoid coming under fire. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure if they if they made that into a movie, they could have a lot of parents be mad at them, you know? Whereas I feel like people, it's harder for people to get mad at books, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, that's true. I, maybe just because books don't have as wide of an audience and it's a little bit harder to get into a book than it is to just sit down and watch Hollywood's uh, latest movie. Right. Yeah. By the way, we didn't do a content warning, but there's not much content. There's some violence. There's some guns. There's some there's some monsters that are being fought and there are some injuries, but there isn't anything too serious. Definitely no swearing or sex. Yeah, I was surprised in one of the opening scenes, Butler nonchalantly breaks like a pickpocket's fingers. And so that was kind of uh, jarring for me. I was not expecting that level of violence. And then that kind of didn't happen again until the kind of climax of the book. That level of violence didn't really happen again. Well, come on. I mean, back in the day, if you if you pickpocketed, your hand would be cut off. I mean, yeah, that's true. You got you got that kind of stuff happening in Aladdin, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's too violent. I don't think you need to hesitate Yeah, letting your, your kid read the book. So let's talk about some scenes and, and characters. What was your favorite scene, Ben, or most memorable scene? My favorite scene was um, either... Butler taking on the entire task force when they didn't believe that he could see them, but he could. That was pretty sweet. And then I really liked when Butler outfitted himself in the medieval armor and totally slayed the troll, or stopped sort of slaying the troll, but he uh, definitely invested it. So that was that was pretty awesome. Additional details there. So they send in one of their first acts after Holly's been kidnapped and they're trying to get her back is they send in the the recon unit into the house and they go in and they're they're shielding themselves so they don't think the butler can see them and they surround him and they're like this is a really big mud man good thing he can't see us but he's got on the glasses the artemis has engineered to break through their shields right they're like a super high resolution so they can see them even though they're vibrating really fast and he takes them up that's that was a that was a good moment yeah and especially the the one that they capture he like Picks him up and he's like, sends him back to uh, tell everybody a message or whatever. And he was just like, I'm going to die being brave. And so he refuses to give down his give his gun. And the guy and Butler's just like, ah, I thought I'd ask. And then he like sends him on his way anyway. Right. Yeah, the, the fairies are the fairies are pretty funny. The troll moment that you mentioned is probably the most memorable when Butler throws on the medieval armor and, and takes down the troll. I guess Butler is your favorite character is what you're saying? Yeah, I was going to say, if it's not obvious by this point... I I honestly think Butler was the most well-defined character of the book for me. He had the most interesting motivations be, between um, wanting to be loyal to Artemis, but also wanting to protect his sister. So there's some tests of loyalty there. And he had the most kick-butt moments throughout the book too. So I mean, Butler is number one for me in this in this book. Yeah, his loyalty to Juliet is, uh, is definitely very defining, gives him another layer and then towards the end, there's there's a moment where he realizes he's been drugged by Artemis and he's considering like, do I reach out and snap Artemis's neck 
but he ends up trusting him. So you can tell even though he works for Artemis, like he does want to protect his sister at all costs. But that trust that he has in the 12 year old kid is also kind of fun too. I think one thing that's booked it very well was kind of the the amount of lore that was able to pack into it. Um, and one of those pieces being the concept of Butler came because of this. These two families have been working together for so long, the Fowl family and the Butler family. And so this Butler family would always be loyal to the Fowls. I don't know. That was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that. So it sounds like he's your favorite character. What was your take on Artemis? How much did you like Artemis's character? I did not enjoy Artemis's character because I feel like we didn't get any more Artemis after like the first couple of chapters. He just kind of became a side character almost, I, th- I felt. He was primarily seen through the eyes of other characters. And I guess that makes sense because the book was like supposed to be a report from the fairies about Artemis Fowl. So that whole premise was kind of hard for me. And yeah, I feel like we just, I didn't grow to know him as a character at all. So you just get Artemis kind of in the control room doing damage control the whole time, right? He's he's directing everyone. Yeah, like the most interesting part that he had in the whole book was kind of breaking the code of the of the book that he managed to obtain that, that told him all the fairy secrets. I really enjoyed him as a kid. I think it was just kind of fun to think of a, a young kid outsmarting the fairies, directing, you know, the, the older macho men around. Yeah, I don't know, kind of every nerdy little kid's dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. So outside of those characters, I really liked the some of the fairy characters, especially Foley and Root. I thought they had an awesome little frenemy bromance thing going on when they were set up at their triage station outside of Foul Manor, trying to figure out how the heck they were going to get out of this situation. And Root was always turning beet red and getting mad at everyone, and Foley was just laughing it off the whole time. But but eventually, you know, Foley. If Foley was so perfectly arrogant and thinking that he was always going to outsmart Artemis, but then everything he did was was thwarted. And uh, I don't, those two characters, just their back and forth, trying to manage the situation was awesome. Yeah, I agree. And then what did you think of the, oh, the like politicking guy that tried to come in? His name starts with a C. Cudgeon? Yeah, there we go. So he's in later books as well. And his motivations in later books are driven a lot by what happens to him in this book. So he has a fast rise, takes control, sends in the sends in the troll, and it's a disaster for him. You're not supposed to like Cousin. He's kind of the villain. If there is a villain, like no one's really a villain here because they're all just trying to do the best for themselves. So honestly, Artemis is somewhat of a villain until the end when he he shows some good motives. But I, I mean, obviously, I didn't like Cousin very much. But you're not supposed yeah, you're to. You're not supposed to, right? Okay. What about? What was your take on on Holly? Holly's cool. You know, she's always got a chip on her shoulder because she's a female in with all of this, all of the, the bros in the LEP recon. And she, you know, right when she's about to get her chance, she's kidnapped. And it looks like she may be the face of the biggest disaster ever for fairy kind. But she's able to salvage the situation somewhat. She's very resourceful. When she plants the acorn in the soil that she gets out of the otherwise concrete manner or the otherwise concrete cell, that's brilliant. And then she tricks Juliet and then just kind of wrecks havoc. And then she also shows her compassionate side in deciding to heal Butler after the troll gores him. And then she she barters for the gold and heals Artemis' mother. 
She's an awesome character. Yeah, I definitely like her as a character. Again, I was sad that we kind of didn't get as much of her in the later half of the book. I, I really enjoyed her character. I thought some Artemis, Holly, you know, some, some sexual tension, some romance could have been nice. Artemis is maybe a little too young for that. But uh, but but in later books, maybe that would have been nice. Honestly, I kind of wonder if in the last few books that I haven't read yet, maybe maybe we go there. That would be fun. Yeah, I'm also questioning if there's not any Juliet romance there as well. There's a few times where Butler manages that some of the local louts really find Juliet attractive. Yeah, so later books, up to the point that I've read, you do get characters growing and their roles expand. So Juliet becomes a full-on Butler bodyguard. Artemis gets a little bit older. Some new villains are introduced and you do actually have the humans and the fairies working together. So Artemis is kind of called in as the Mudmen expert a, a few times, and then he calls in some favors from the fairies. So the later books really kind of build upon the relationships that are forged in the first books, and they're really fun. All, all the books are really fun. They're quick reads, and the technology is fun, and just the imagination of the plots. Yeah, so real fast, let's talk about a little bit of technology. So this book came out in 2001. How do you think, it, how do you think technology aged in it? I mean, I guess that's kind of a hard question for you, for you to answer because you haven't read it recently. Yeah. So, so just remind me what some of the technology pieces you're pointing at are. Well, I I thought it was really funny because in order to back up the the fairy book, Artemis cleverly sends it via email to himself, <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, that <laughs> that was probably super clever in 2001. You think he should have just uploaded to Google Drive? Yeah. It, exactly. Well, it's just it was funny. Hey. Every now and then, sometimes I forget to upload stuff to, to drive, and I do catch myself emailing myself. It, it's happened within, I'm going to say at least within 2019, I emailed myself something. You know, I, I can't fault you for that. I definitely, sometimes I'll email myself reminders. Do you ever do that? Yes, I don't know. Sometimes old habits die hard, and even though you know that the technology is going to do what you want it to, it's just a little bit hard, and so you're just like, I'm going to email myself. That's the easiest way, and I know it's going to work. Yeah, yep. So, other than that, oh, there's also plasma TVs. I feel like those have kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah, there's a scene in, in one of the later books that deals with, uh, he's like crawling through a tunnel of plasma as well. You reminded me of that for some reason. I guess the author likes the idea of, of plasma. Yeah. What are, so, yeah, and then what are some of the other technologies? There's also There's obviously the fantastical fairy technologies, which are not outdated yet. We have not yet developed the mesmer or shielding. Or biobomb. Yeah, the biobomb. Yeah, what did you think about the biobomb? So the bi- well, this is this is super interesting because I guess it gets into kind of the how the how everything was resolved, right? So they send in the biobomb, fully expecting it to take out uh, Artemis and and the butler and Juliet, which Holly is not excited about. But little do they know, even though Artemis has told them and the audience like dozens of times throughout the book, he has a way to get past it. And his way was putting them to sleep because apparently that defeats the, the time bubble that they were in. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm actually going to go worst of the best here on this one. We can jump into that right now. I don't know if you had a different one, but I'm taking this as mine. So I really liked a lot of parts of this, but like you hinted at, the putting to sleep thing was a little off for me because wouldn't the biobomb still prevent you from going... Or no, not the biobomb, but wouldn't the time shield that they put up still prevent you from going to sleep? 
Because, I mean, I get that it's a sleeping pill, but does the sleeping pill defeat the technology of the time shield? I don't know. It, that was a little off to me. The The best part about it was it, it works in other ways. Like, it was cool how his mother, they, they put his mom to sleep using uh, a sleeping pill and he checked on her. There was a line where he checks on her and the camera and she's not there anymore. So, he tests and makes sure his theory works. And, you know, that that was nice and that was hinted at. And at the time, you're like, oh, wait, where is she? But then it cuts away really fast. And then at the very end, I like how they tie it into Santa Claus to St. Nick. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, I, I figured out how to do this because I realized the legends of Santa Claus were actually were actually explaining this phenomenon. Yeah, so that was cool. It was funny because I thought I had figured out. There's a line in the book where it says something like it, it kills all living flesh. And so, I thought that they were going to do one of those things where they like have their like kill their bodies for a split second, like start their stop their heart rate or whatever, you know, and then and then have a way to jumpstart them again. So, I was like, oh, I got this book on lock. Like, that's definitely going to happen. Okay. Well, that's good that you didn't figure it out too soon. Yeah. But again, it seems like it was silly that in none of fairy history, anybody had been able to also figure that solution out, you know? Yeah. I guess Mud Men had never really tried, right? Yeah, I suppose so. You know, I I like that. That was that was interesting. Did you have another worst of the best, or is that are are we just gonna dogpile on that? Yeah. So I will also say that I like the fact that he bargained with with Holly to uh, to save his mother, or not to save her, but to heal her or whatever. But I feel like that should have been more intentional. I felt like they he just kind of did it as an afterthought. And I think it would have added a lot more to his character if that was his primary motivation of doing the whole thing than his, like, secondary, oh, maybe I can part with half of this money and get something good from it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Maybe that would have humanized him a bit more if we knew that he was always trying to do something. Or maybe we didn't even have to know it, but if it was explained towards the end that that was always his motivation, that probably would have been nice to know. And like I said, there's a very strong theme of greed here. Artemis is trying to establish his criminal empire a bit here with the absent in the absence of his father. And yeah, I guess he just wished that he was humanized more, especially as a 12-year-old kid. I think that also, I wish that there would have been something revealed about his father. I'm sure that there's going to be stuff in later books, if not his full-on father coming back. But don't spoil that for me right now. But I wish that there would have been like one more clue at the end or something about it. Yeah, book two. Book okay. two, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no spoilers, but uh, but but yeah, book two will take you there. One thing that did kind of bother me, and this is kind of a worst of the worst moment. I felt that like there's a lot of head hopping that goes on, where you're like in one point of view, and then you kind of jump to another point of view pretty quickly with like no explanation of how you got there. The thing that the time it annoyed me the most was when they're fighting the troll, and like all of a sudden you're almost in the troll's head. And there's no real reason why you should be seeing things from the troll's point of view. I remember that. I think I remember just kind of thinking it was fun because I like getting different points of view because then you can see how characters are acting and being perceived in ways outside of the point of view that you're used to. I think that's kind of fun when you're like, oh, he thinks he's so cool, but really he looks like an idiot to this other character. Moments like those. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the effect that it had was okay. I just, maybe that's more like a technical thing that I've noticed since I've been like analyzing books a bit, a bit more. Yeah, I, maybe it's more of a middle grade thing. I mean, this is a, written to a pretty young audience. So, I, I don't know. 
So one other character that we did not talk about was Mulch. Mulch Diggums. Ooh, yes. Perfect, perfect last name. It's almost like Ash Ketchum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost like Ash Ketchum. Mulch Diggums. So Mulch is going to continue to appear in all of the books, obviously. He, in the movie, he's played by Josh Gad. Although I don't necessarily like how he looks in the trailer. That's not how I expected. I expected more of a mole type character from right. how he's described. But uh, he, he's fun. Kleptomaniac, dwarf. Yeah, man. Anybody that has their special attack be like pooping on people in a very aggressive manner, you got to appreciate that. Yeah, he's the only one to take down Butler, really, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely some, uh, some middle grade humor there in, uh, in the flatulence. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, Mulch is fun. And it's, it was kind of fun to see how the fairies were unleashing everything they had. They're like, oh, yeah, let's pull the criminals out. Okay, that didn't work. Let's pull the trolls out to try to stop this guy. But, but in the end, nothing really worked. Yeah. Also, I feel like everybody needs a bump flap now, like, uh, like Mulch Diggums has. Hey, you know, in, in the solitude of your home there during our COVID-19 quarantine, I've started to wonder what's the point of wearing different clothes every day. If you wanted to integrate a bum flap, I don't think many people would judge you and I don't know that it really matters. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, I'll pioneer this uh, technology and release it to the world after this. Yeah, let's let's get a Kickstarter. Don't associate the Kickstarter with Phantology, <laughs> but you can uh, you can kickstart your own uh, your own line of apparel if you want. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, he's a great character. Appreciate him. And I, I actually, I, I like that you saw him at the very beginning of the book. Holly kind of notices him steal from a, from a guard. So that was kind of a cool foreshadowing moment. Yeah, I think they do a good job of foreshadowing several different things, uh, especially the, the final conclusion I thought was pretty satisfactory. Cool. Um, you know, a nice twist there that you, you could have seen coming and, and was hinted at somewhat. So, so last word from me was I thought this book was just cool and kind of teaching me a few different random pieces of, of knowledge that I know to this day. Like, I think this was the first time I learned what Stockholm Syndrome was when they talk about when Holly gets taken out and she she's grown attached to her captors. And I also learned what a Sig Sawyer was. You know, that was, honestly, when I was a kid, that's probably the only type of gun that I could name just because that's the gun the butler likes to use. So, just little random things like this. And I think a lot of the, uh, the books we read in our formative years, I think, are, are very are great teachers for random pieces of trivia that that stay with us for the rest of our life, right? Yeah, I agree with that with that assessment. So, I guess a note to YA authors, make sure that you include some real-life applications in your book, you know? I also thought that they handled Alzheimer's really well or, or dementia or whatever you want to say that his mom had. That was pretty, I think, handled very tactfully in the book. Yeah, and you don't, I'm trying to remember, you don't really see her very much until very end she comes in and she's healed she she makes kind of some ridiculous demands throughout and Juliet gets gets frustrated trying to help her but uh, but then at the end it kind of leaves you on this cliffhanger of well now she's healed and yet Artemis is sitting here with his half ton of gold and wanting to start as a criminal mastermind but she's saying oh Artemis time to go back to school so it leaves you a bit of a cliffhanger as to what's going to happen next yep Okay, any final words from you? Are you going to continue reading or was one book enough for you and maybe you'll watch the movie? Jeez, you know, I will probably continue reading. It's piqued my interest, but it'll be kind of 
in, in the spare time I have between books, probably. Yeah. Was this an audiobook listen for you or, or a read? Definitely an audiobook lesson. I think it was only nine hours going at normal speed, and so it was only like four and a half hours on double speed. Yeah, crank that up to double speed. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy the, at least the next two are, are really good. The fourth one, I don't remember quite as much, but I think that's because we didn't actually own those, and I just tore through the books that we owned. Yeah. I mean, so maybe you'll have to uh, pick them up once I get to that point. Yeah, I wouldn't mind jumping back in to see how much I really liked it uh, th- through the through the eyes of a 20-something instead of a, a young preteen. It'll be good, especially with the movie coming out. There's going to be a lot of, hopefully, a lot of talk around it. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to like the movie. Well, I mean, not with that attitude. Yeah, I, I've already, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to like it now. Gotcha. I think overall, good book. I was looking it up and only had like a, it had a kind of low rating on Goodreads. I don't think it deserved that. Maybe I'll give it a good rating on Goodreads after this. Yeah, probably just because because uh, the target audience isn't really on Goodreads, right? That's true. Yeah. There's all these all these biases. Don't believe any of the data that you hear reported <laughs> in the news. It's all biased. That's my take. Coming from you from a, from a verified data scientist. Yeah, yeah, verified. All right. Thanks for, thanks for listening to this episode of Phantology. I know we got into a bit of a different brand here with the younger, with the younger audience, but hopefully you still enjoyed. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen, for, uh, for remembering from your youth all these, all these books. Yeah, this has been fun for me. I, I love jumping back into these old books. And I guess uh, it shows that my memory is, is not fading yet. I'm still young. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Until next time, this has been Phantology Podcast. See everyone later. <laughs>